This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Amen. That goes so beautifully with our text today. So if you're new with us today, we have been in this series in the back half of July, and and it'll run through the end of, of August, called Communion with the Living God. What we're doing in the series is looking at some of the prayers of the Apostle Paul in his letters. There are times in Paul's letters where he just stops and prays for the church that he is writing to and ultimately for us. And as we, as we dig into these prayers of Paul, it can do so much to enhance our own communion with the living God as we walk with him and prayer. So today we're going to look at the one in Ephesians chapter 1. Eyes opened, glory seen. This is a, a tour de force at the beginning of, of Ephesians 1. And Paul here, a, a lot of this is like one sentence in Greek where he just can't contain himself. He is just, he's, he's just overflowing with, with praise and, and thanksgiving to God. And then he, he prays for the church. And so we're going to dig into that this morning. That song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, is just spot on for, for what we see in this prayer. So Ephesians 1, if you would open your copy of God's Word to the first chapter of Ephesians, and we are going to begin here with verse 3 and read through the end of the, of the chapter. Paul here at the beginning of Ephesians 1 is just exploding in praise to God. He wants us to see the blessings that we have in Christ. And then in the last half of the chapter, he's praying that God would open the eyes of our hearts, yes, to see the gifts, the blessings that have been given to us. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him, we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him, 
You also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have never stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Wow. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your servant, Paul, whose life you had changed and who you had filled with the spirit and who you, you gave this, this word to, this revelation to us. Lord, we pray that as we are prayed for in this passage, that you would truly open our eyes to see the wonders of the blessings and the gifts that are already ours in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. So when our children were little, Melissa and I um, had kind of a, a fun little family tradition on Christmas morning, you know, everything, we'd gotten up earlier and kind of, you know, things were, things were laid out and every, everything was right. And then that, that special time uh, came and the kids had maybe already been awake anyway. They were, they were so excited, but they weren't allowed to come in yet. But when they came in, we would have them to, to close their eyes or, you know, we would cover uh, their eyes. I'm not sure when that tradition ended. I think when, maybe when Melissa and I got out, outnumbered by kids, um, we couldn't do that anymore. But for, for years, we would have them close their eyes and then open them. And then there was just undiluted joy as they saw all the things that were right in front of them and maybe even more joy for, for me and Melissa as, as it is for, for loving parents, you know, in that in that moment, you're so happy just to see, just to see their joy. Far too many Christians have their eyes closed to the blessings that have already been given them in Christ. And so what Paul is doing in this incredible chapter 
is in verses three through 14, he's talking about some of those blessings that have been given to us. And then in verses 15 and following, he's praying that God would open our eyes to see what is ours in Christ. So what do we see here? First of all, Paul is praising God for our blessings in Christ. Let's look at it, let's pick it up beginning in verse three. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. And so now what he's gonna do And the verses that follow is that he's gonna bring out these blessings one by one, and he's gonna mention four of them. The first blessing that he's praising God for, that we should praise God for, is for choosing and adopting us. For choosing and adopting us. We see this in verses four through six. Let's look at verse four. For he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Now the fact that God chose us does not negate our responsibility to repent and believe and to choose Christ, but, but the, you know, how in the world could we ever have chosen him unless he had first chosen us? Because if you look at the beginning of chapter two of Ephesians, turn over and just look at the beginning of chapter two and verse one, what was our state? What was our spiritual condition before we came to know Christ? Verse, chapter two and verse one, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Before Christ came into our lives, we were spiritually dead. So the question is, what can a spiritual corpse do? Can't do anything but be raised. <laughs> Which is exactly the point that Paul makes as, we, as you go on through, through chapter two of Ephesians and pick it up at verse four. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. It's all grace. He chose us, he adopted us. Look at, look at, let's look at chapter one again and look at verse five. Paul says he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Aaron Judge is one of the the greatest players in Major League Baseball today. He won the American League MVP last year and he crushed 62 home runs in one season. The first player to ever hit that many home runs in a season doing it clean without the use of performance enhancing drugs. And Aaron gets that integrity from his parents. He was born on April 26, 1992, and was adopted the very next day by two Christian parents, Wayne and Patty Judge. And Aaron says this. He says, I feel like they kind of picked me. 
that God was the one who matched us together. Some kids grow in their mom's stomach. I grew in my mom's heart. And what Paul is saying here is that as a Christian, long before you drew your first breath, you were on the heart of God. God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. David praises God in Psalm 139 and verse 16, and he says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. John 1 and verses 12 and 13 says, but to all who did receive him, that is Christ, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name who were born, not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. You see, none of us are children of God by nature. We become children of God by adoption. And that is all about God's grace. Nothing but his grace. Look at, what, look at what it says in verse six. It says that this is all, his choosing us, adopting us, it's all to the praise of his glorious grace. I love what theologian Sinclair Ferguson says about this. Sinclair says, if we ask, why did he choose me? The only answer is, he loved you. If we then ask, Yes, but why did he love me? The only answer is because he loved you and planned to bring glory to his grace in and through you. But surely there must be some other reason. What was there about me that made him love me? Did he see that I was the kind of person who would trust him? No, how muddle-headed such an idea is. I am the kind of person who is dead in my sins without hope and enmity with God. There is nothing in me that makes God love me. The reason for his love lies in himself. It is grace from start to finish, nothing but sheer grace. And so we praise God for choosing and adopting us. Second, for redeeming and forgiving us. Let's look at verses seven and eight. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. So redemption means that God purchased us when we were, when we were in bondage to sin, and death, God purchased our freedom, how? Through the shed blood of Christ. First Peter one and verses 18 and 19 says, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Yeah, there's a story about a guy who, who built a, a little model sailboat and he worked on it for months. And finally the day came when he went down to the water 
and he put it in the water. It sailed beautifully. In fact, it was breezy, and the breeze filled the little sails, and it just took it, and it went further and further out, and it was gone. He was crushed. But then sometime later, he's walking down the street, and he looked through the window of a pawn shop, and there was the little sailboat. <laughs> he would know it anywhere. He immediately, joyfully went in and, 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 and purchased it, and he held it close, and he said, well, little boat, I made you, and now I've bought you. That's what God has done for us. He is our creator, and he is our redeemer. And we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. And in Christ, we are forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future. And now Paul turns his attention to that future. That's the third blessing that we're praising God for. For the future he has planned for us. We see that in verses 9 through 12. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Now this is a picture of your future. This is a picture of, of the future of every person in Christ. Life in a new heaven and earth. When everything is brought together in Christ. No more divide between heaven and earth. Heaven and earth are made one. The new heaven and the new earth. Everything is brought together in Christ. Everything wrong is made right. Everything broken is healed. And, and if you are in Christ, you will be there. For on that day, you will be raised with a glorified body to live there, an imperishable body. No longer subject to disease or illness or sin or death. This is our future in Christ. This is our inheritance. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, in him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. This is our inheritance. We are heirs of this glorious future. And then Paul praises God, leads us to praise God for the Holy Spirit in verses 13 and 14. Look at verse 13. In him, in Christ, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and when you believe. Now think about the beautiful picture of the Trinity that we see in this passage. We see the Father choosing us and adopting us, sending his Son to redeem us, and then his Spirit to seal us, as he says here in verse 13. Now a seal in the ancient world was different than the way that we use that word today. Usually when we talk about something being sealed today, we're talking about it just being properly closed, you know, sealed up. But a seal in the ancient world was, it was, it was, it was a, something affixed with wax, 
And then the wax would have like the imprint of the, of the cinder in it, which made it like an official document. And Paul uses this image here. And he says that, that, that in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Dr. Craig Keener, a New Testament scholar who has done so much work in biblical background, says this about verse 13. A wax seal would have, would have a mark of ownership or identification stamped in it, identifying who was attesting what was inside the container that had been sealed. So the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is the attestation of God, you know, that you're one of his. You belong to him. And then in verse 14, he uses another beautiful image, the Spirit. Verse 14, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. We just talked about the glory of our future in a new heaven and earth, right? We're gonna have glorified bodies. He's saying here that the presence of the Holy Spirit is a guarantee now of the fact that that, that, is, that is your future. It's like a foretaste. The presence of the Spirit in your life is like a guarantee, a foretaste of, of what is to come in that future world. Again, I love what Dr. Keener says. Paul here speaks of the Spirit as a down payment. Those who have tasted the Spirit have, had begun to taste of the life of the future world that God had promised to his people. Have you tasted of Christ, of the Spirit. You know, Jonathan Edwards once said, I could try to describe to you what honey tastes like, but you're gonna have to taste honey. You've gotta taste it. You can't really, you, you've gotta taste it yourself. No one can really describe it. Listen, Psalm 34, eight gives us this invitation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him? Taste and see. So in verses three through 14, we're, we're seeing these, these blessings in Christ, these gifts in Christ being brought out one by one. Now. In verses 15 and following, what Paul is doing is praying that our eyes will be opened to see them. Because if we see them, it changes our lives. So the second thing is praying for God to open our eyes. Let's look at verses 15 through 17. Paul says, this is why. Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
Notice here that he's not praying that they'll receive anything new, but that God would reveal to them what is already theirs, what they already have in Christ. Verses 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now again, he's not praying that they would receive anything new. He's praying for their eyes to be open to see what they already have, what we already have in Christ. There's this amazing passage in the Old Testament, and it's in 2 Kings 6. And the context here is that the king of Syria, or Aram, is enraged at the prophet Elisha. And so he sends people to, to get him. Verses 13 and 14, 2 Kings 6. So the king said, go and see where he is so that I can send men to capture him. When he was told Elisha is in Dothan, he sent horses, chariots, and a massive army there. They went by night and surrounded the city. And so the king sends out a force of overwhelming firepower, a massive army, chariots, horses, to get one guy, one prophet of God. And so they go and they surround the city. They surround the city of Dothan overnight. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elisha, oh my master, what are we to do? I mean, Elisha's servant gets up in the morning, you know, walks out of his tent or whatever, and he looks around and he's like, and he goes back and he tells Elisha, we are toast. We're goners. We're surrounded with overwhelming force. Verse 16, Elisha said, don't be afraid. For those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Now, at this point, Elisha's servant must, be, must have been thinking, well, that's interesting because I've been outside and looked, and, you know, there are two of us, and I'm looking around, and there is a massive force surrounding us. Lots of soldiers and horses and chariots. They're, well, they're armed to the teeth. And they're, 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 they're completely surrounding us. Verse 17. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See, God opens the eyes of the servant to see another reality, to see what Elisha could see. Because when the servant first walked out, 
you know, he could see lots of soldiers. He could see, you know, lots of horses and uh, chariots and, you know, lots of soldiers. But see, they were just puny human beings. He couldn't see what Elisha could see. Elisha prays for his eyes to be opened so that he can see what's really there. Because yeah, the massive army is there, that was true. Lots of soldiers, horses, chariots, yes, they were there. But Elisha could see something else that was there, right? Not an army of puny human beings, but an army full of the angels of the living God. And not just chariots, chariots of fire. God's power surrounding them, protecting them. They had nothing to fear. And see, Paul is praying something similar for us here. He's praying that, that God would open our eyes to see another reality of what is, what is already there, what's already been given to us in Christ. What? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what? What is the hope of his calling? What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And that power is ultimately displayed how? Verses 20 and 21, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, has been raised and is now exalted at the right hand of God the Father and he is coming again in victory. Paul speaks of this moment in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, when he says, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just before he gives us the great commission, Jesus says in Matthew 28 and verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. D.A. Carson says this, not a drop of rain can fall outside the orb of Jesus' sovereignty. All our days, our health, our illnesses, our joys, our victories, our tears, our prayers, and the answers to our prayers fall within the sweep of the sovereignty of the one who wears a human face, a thorn-shadowed face. Look at verse 22. And he subjected everything under his feet. Maybe you feel overwhelmed by something going on in your life today. Something's happening in life and it, it, it feels like it's just completely over your head. Let me remind you, 
What's over your head is under his feet. Christ rules and reigns. And now look at this incredible statement about the church. The latter part of verse 22 and verse 23. It says, and he appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So Christ is the head of the church and the church is the body of Christ. And then he, he, he makes this interesting statement in verse 23, which is his body, the, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Now that the, the word uh, fullness there, the word pleroma in Greek can mean a couple of things. There's an active sense in which it means that which fills and makes something full and complete. That doesn't really jive with the rest of scripture really because you know, we don't complete Christ. No, he completes us. There's a passive sense of this word which means that which is filled or brought to fullness. That's more like it. (laughs) We are brought to fullness as Christ fills us. And may he fill us to overflowing. As Paul is here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this incredible passage of scripture. Lord, how can we how can we how can we adequately thank you for the blessings that have been given to us in Christ? And as we just pause for a moment, I would ask you the question, are you in Christ? Because all of these glorious blessings are for those who are in him, who are united to Christ by faith. Turn to Jesus, trust him, receive him as your savior and Lord and king. The Bible says that when we do that, that that God will, will take you as his own. A father who will love you with a perfect love and never let you go. These blessings can be yours. Christ has already done everything to secure them. His blood has been shed for sinners like us on the cross so that our redemption could be purchased, that we could be forgiven. He is risen from the dead. Your future can be secure. Your past is under the blood. Your present is secure in him to live as Christ, to die as gain. What a life. Turn to Jesus and trust in him that you may be in Christ and that these blessings can be yours. And Lord, we pray that you would indeed open our eyes to see, Lord, to see. These are things that are given to us in your son. Lord, we, we pray for the grace to see them. May you open the eyes of our hearts. May you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to see reality, the glorious reality of what is ours.
in Christ. The greatness of your love. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 